You're tuned to WFHB. Volunteer-powered, listener-supported, Community Radio for South Central Indiana. Good afternoon, reporting for WFHB. This is Deke Hager. And I'm Benedict Jones. This is the WFHB Local News for Monday, April 17th, 2023. Seniors Policy Director for the Hoosier Environmental Council, HEC, on bills moving through the Indiana legislature that relate to the ecological health of our state. More in today's feature report. In the moment, you can feel the light bulbs going off. Like, oh, I have implicit bias. It's not like a dirty word. It's not, I'm bad and wrong, but oh, we just, we all do. We have implicit bias. Then we can just talk about it openly. That's Bloomington therapist Lee Muser from a local coalition called Building a Thriving, Compassionate Community. We'll hear more from her later in the show about this network of individuals and organizations hosting trauma-informed trainings on the root causes of social problems in Monroe County. That's on a new episode of Activate, featuring real people working for positive change in our community. But first, your daily headlines. At the Monroe County Commissioner's meeting on April 12th, Director of Emergency Management, Jamie Nibel, gave an update on the work that they have been doing to provide support after the tornado. Good morning. I just wanted to provide a quick update for the uh, storm efforts near Steinsville, the tornado storm efforts. Um, so far, uh, we've accomplished placing 15 roll-offs along Wolf Mountain and Texas Ridge Road. We've also placed a small one at the former Steinsville Elementary School to help support the resource center that is still uh, going with uh, the help of the Red American Red Cross. Uh, Several loads have already been hauled away courtesy of KNS roll-off, uh, and much progress has been seen over the last four days as far as debris cleanup. Tree debris will take the most time, but most residents already have that in progress, or at least a plan for removing that. Um, Monday was spent doing outreach with a mental health counselor specializing in trauma. And further requests for um, counseling are being uh, coordinated through myself and through the Red Cross. Uh, there is a fund for donate monetary donations established through the United Way. And physical items that are still needed for supporting those residents are totes with lids, the plastic totes with lids. And those can be dropped off at the Steinsville Elementary School. Um, I would like to give a special thanks to the Steinsville Town Council for letting us use the old elementary school. That has been a tremendous help. And I uh, think that there is a little more coordination with between them and the American Red Cross for future use, similar future uses. So that has been great. Um, the Bean Blossom Townships, Bean Blossom Township Steinsville Volunteer Fire Department. That's a long one. Uh, they've been a big help also with uh, kind of shuttling us and uh, Homeland Security and FEMA around for the multiple damage assessments uh, throughout the last two weeks and allowing us to set up a makeshift EOC in their um, radio room. The Monroe County Sheriff's Department for allowing us the use of their drone and for providing multiple patrols throughout the damaged areas very much appreciated by everyone, including the affected residents as well. Uh, the Monroe County Community Organizations Active in Disaster, they provided some support to the Resource Center 
Very much appreciated. American Red Cross, of course, the Highway Department, South Central REMC has had quite a daunting job ahead of them trying to restore power to the area and make it safe. So hats off to our linemen. Their efforts are always appreciated. And of course, the commissioners as well. Um, from an EMA standpoint, the support of you guys has been tremendously appreciated. It's not always expected or but always appreciated. Thank you so much. Commissioner Penny Givens reminded residents that they can sign up for the community alert system to be informed of weather-related events in the future. Givens said that residents can sign up on the county website under emergency management page. During public comment, Monroe County resident David Rubel spoke in favor of Sheriff Ruben Marte and said he appreciated that they had added mattresses to sleep on in the drunk tank. The new sheriff. I've never met him. I love him already. You know why? He's righted a wrong that's went, that was done in this town for a long time. The jail, whenever you'd go in there for, whenever you'd go in there, uh, be arrested, they would take you to the drunk tank and make you sleep on a concrete floor. Now you're given a mattress. The question too is why was that allowed to go on so long? We're Americans. You get arrested, you're, you're innocent until proven guilty, but yet when you're took to the drug tank, you're made to sleep on a concrete floor, really? But I'm glad that got righted finally. I think you ought to get a Nobel Peace Prize for doing that. You know, my wife got arrested 10 years ago for, uh, rest in peace, Loretta, about 10 years ago for DUI. You know, I went and got her the next day. She was crying her eyes out. They made me sleep on a concrete floor. You know, that's wrong. And I'm glad that got righted. But I'd like to know why that got, why that happened so long. Did you guys not know that people were being made to sleep on a concrete floor with no mattress, no pillow? You know, I heard it was because the people that work at the jail didn't like it when drunk people come in there and would get sick on the mattresses. They'd have to clean those. So they took them away. That's what I heard. You know, and also another thing too, at the jail, you know, they need to rotate the jailers because, you know, they get hardened when they go in there every day and they meet people. It's the same old story. They start getting aggravated with the inmates. They need to be rotated somehow to where you don't have the same people working in that jail every year. I mean, I know it's their job, but some kind of rotation needs to happen because, you know, they get jaded. Uh, inmates asking them for the same thing every day. And it makes it, probably makes them a little bit mean. That They need to be rotated. Also, during public comment, President of the Greater Bloomington Chamber of Commerce, Eric Spoonmore, urged the commissioners to create the Capital Improvements Board in light of legislation proposed at the state level to change the way the food and beverage tax can be used. I just wanted to uh, thank Commissioner Giddens for being up in Indianapolis yesterday uh, to testify on the uh, House Bill 1499, which uh, kind of came as a surprise to me. I, I got word of it at about six o'clock in the morning yesterday as I was reading through some of the uh, provisions. It was concerning, I think, um, as I would imagine some of you probably are, that it uh, takes away some of those uh, guardrails and safeguards uh, for county government uh, with the expansion process and uh, with the food and beverage tax. So um, 
again, appreciate, sounds like uh, Senator Yoder's uh, working on trying to get another fix for us. I don't know how much longer we can count on her to uh, get these things done uh, for us here in Monroe County, but certainly appreciate uh, all of her efforts up there in Indianapolis as well, too. Um, I know the CIB ordinance that you all uh, had kind of drafted expired. Uh, that was contingent on uh, the city's participation in that process. Um, you know, we had, of the four entities involved, we had three uh, who were ready to participate. Um, unfortunately, we had one who did not. But I think, you know, just to reassure you all, I think the community, particularly the business community, uh, it, to us, it's a foregone conclusion. I don't think we're ever going to be able to get all four entities on board with this, but um, I hope that won't let us stop a capital improvement board going forward. And I hope we can uh, get that created as soon as possible because it is uh, important to note that of the 20 elected officials that were involved in this process, 18 of them uh, wanted to move forward with the capital improvement board. And so we just encourage you, we haven't heard a lot about it recently. Um, so uh, I know these uh, topics came up in Indianapolis yesterday. Uh, they move really quickly up there. Uh, it's, it's incredible how quick they can move in Indianapolis versus, you know, how quick we can move here at the local level. But would just encourage uh, you all to get that capital improvement board put in place, make appointments to it. Uh, and then again, to note that uh, at the chamber's uh, most recent mayoral forum, we heard no objections from any of the uh, three candidates that are running for mayor to a capital improvement board. In fact, they all said they want this project to move forward as well too. So I think you'll have a willing partner uh, and uh, would just uh, encourage you again to, to establish this as quickly as possible. Thank you very much. The next Monroe County Commissioner's meeting will be held on April 19th. In today's feature report, WFHB environmental correspondent Zero Rose gets an update from the Indiana State House in a conversation with Tim Maloney, Senior Policy Director for the Hoosier Environmental Council, the HEC, on bills moving through the Indiana legislature that relate to the ecological health of our state. We turn to Zero Rose for more. with us today Tim Maloney, Senior Policy Director for the Hoosier Environmental Council. Tim leads the HEC's programs on forestry, land use, and public transit. He is also the Council's Principal Emissary to the Indiana Legislature. Uh, he served as Executive Director and National Heritage Director for HEC. He has also been Chair of the Hoosier Chapter of the Sierra Club, as well as Field Organizer for Sierra Club and National Clean Air Coalition. He was a founding member of the HEC Board of Directors, and his bachelor's degree is in Forensic Studies and Psychology, and that's from Indiana University. Thank you for being with us today, Mr. Maloney. Sure, glad to be here. So, um, I see that uh, some of the bills, you guys have a bill watch, and you uh, put forth which things you support and which things you oppose, and I see that some of that came back around on the 10th earlier this week. Is there any uh, victories that uh, happened this week that you want to highlight? 
One uh, positive item is a uh, bill that would enable the establishment of watershed development commissions around Indiana. Uh, these would be uh, watershed-based planning groups uh, made up of, of local government bodies in, in an effective watershed along a particular stream or river. Uh, and uh, we think that has a promise to improve uh, in the long-term stewardship of our waterways. Uh, there are a few similar watershed commissions already in existence around Indiana. And um, in, in many respects, they've done some good work. There's a similar commission along the Kankakee River in Northwest Indiana, along the St. Joseph River in Northern Indiana, and along the Maumee River in in Fort Wayne and, and the surrounding areas. So uh, it's, a, it's a tested idea. This, this bill, this is House Bill 1639. It, it tends to um, modify how these commissions might work, but it's wholly voluntary. No set of, of communities are required to participate, but it gives them a vehicle to do that if they choose to do so. So that's, that is a, a positive bill. Uh, there's another good bill related to waterway protection that is on its way to become law, and that is House Bill 1304, and this is a bill to increase the fee that boat owners pay into the Indiana Lake and River Enhancement Fund, and that fund is used to pay for projects that improve our waterways. It can be anything from bank stabilization to other projects to, to control erosion, to do feasibility studies on what type of restoration activities may need to happen on a waterway that's having trouble. It can help pay for log jam removal uh, as long as it's done in a, um, an environmentally friendly fashion. So that's a very good program. There's great demand for funding through the Lake and River Enhancement Program. So this would raise the revenue that's available to fund these grants that um, really any community or group of interested landowners could apply for these funds throughout Indiana if they want to do some work to improve their local waterway. So that's a good bill and that we expect that to become law. There's another bill that's on the harmful side of waterway protection and management. That's Senate Bill 242 that would limit the use of new floodplain maps developed by the Indiana DNR. Typically, floodplain mapping is done by the Federal Emergency Management Agency. They, they're the agency that launched the nationwide effort to map floodplains, and they have done that all over the country, including in Indiana, but they have not had the capacity to map all our floodplains. And of course, knowing where floodplains are helps guide guide local development activities because you want to keep uh, structures and people out of out of flood prone areas um, for safety reasons and for financial reasons. Federal dollars for uh, for flood damages if that happens, as long as they're trying to to protect their floodplains and and uh, keep incompatible development out of those. So anyway, 
the state of Indiana several years back started its own program to map more of our state floodplains, and they were using the latest technology, what's known as LIDAR technology, to help map where our floodplains are and also acknowledging that the increase of precipitation from climate change is going to also affect the size and scale of our floodplains around Indiana. So uh, a very uh, positive project, but those new DNR floodplain maps that supplement the federal ones have been used in local uh, planning and permitting decisions. And now there is pushback from landowners and communities who are concerned about finding out they have floodplains where they weren't aware they actually existed. And uh, so the legislature is about to pass a bill that would uh, restrict the use of these new DNR maps. And that's that's definitely a setback and, uh, and just not a sensible approach to planning. One of the priorities we're working on here in, in this week and the week and the weeks before uh, there is a bill moving through the General Assembly, House Bill 1623, that would be a, a far-reaching reform of how our state agencies adopt uh, rules and regulations. And if you know anything about how, if your listeners know anything about how, you know, um, laws and regulations work together, and this is this happens either both at the federal level and at the state level. Uh, the, uh, the elected legislatures, like the Indiana Legislature or the U.S. Congress, uh, pass laws that set overarching policy, and then they uh, instruct the appropriate agencies to adopt regulations that implement those policies passed in laws, and that. That's a and, routine. I'm sorry, go ahead. And this is the bill that uh, uh, says not to pass anything more stringent than the federal? Yes, that's exactly correct. And um, uh, so that, um, so like I was saying, this would reform how our agencies uh, adopt those rules. It would give the General Assembly even more oversight and um, also require additional steps and uh, activities by the agencies before they can finalize an agency rule, including a very uh, detailed regulatory analysis, um, more, uh, more public comment opportunities, which is actually one of the one of the good things in the bill, but the, the harmful things outweigh that that added transparency. But like you said, it has language uh, that affects both um, uh, proposed new Indiana rules to govern coal ash disposal facilities, uh, which is a big environmental problem through Indiana. These, these leaking surface impoundments where coal ash was dumped for decades are contaminating groundwater at virtually every power plant site in Indiana. And the state was, uh, as directed by the state legislature two years ago, was uh, in the process of writing new rules to regulate these coal ash facilities. And um, 
because the federal uh, coal ash rule has gaps in it, the state of Indiana rules were going to fill in those gaps with existing regulations from our landfill regulations. And uh, that's what triggered the language in this bill to say Indiana could not do anything more stringent than the federal government on coal ash regulation or even take action where the federal government does not uh, regulate a particular aspect of of coal ash disposal. So um, that's in the bill. And then there was also recently language added to impose similar limitations on the state's uh, oversight of pesticide application. The pesticides use in Indiana is regulated by the uh, by this Indiana State Chemist and the Pesticide Review Board. And this this bill now has language that calls into question the rules that they've adopted to try to, uh, you know, set standards for the safe use of pesticides. And I know probably a lot of listeners would rather see us not have any pesticide use. And there's um, uh, certainly uh, an argument for that. But, uh, you know, as things stand now, uh, it is legal, but regulated both at the federal level and at the state level, yet you know, our General Assembly is proposing to limit those rules, which are just, a, or which are about, you know, making sure that as best as possible, these pesticides are used safely uh, to protect uh, human health, to protect, uh, you know, water quality and protect uh, the animals that might be impacted or insects or pollinators that might be Im impacted by pesticides. And also, it actually helps the food production industry because some pesticides applied in one place can be harmful to uh, to valuable crops or uh, or trees in other places. So um, there are a lot of reasons to have sensible and effective oversight of pesticide use, and this would set that back. So. I mean, we could go on and on in talking about this bill. It's it's uh, far-reaching. Uh, it's uh, the the consequences are not well understood. Uh, yet the legislature is rushing to to make this happen. So that's something that we're pushing back strongly on. So yeah, it seems basically designed to halt any progress in any area, and some of those organic farmers are having their crops contaminated. That's a common problem with pesticide drift that affects the neighboring folks. And even, you know, it definitely is, is harmful for organic growers, but even other commercial growers who may have a different type of, you know, crop that uh, is not, is harmed by a particular pesticide that may be thought to benefit, you know, one type of production, yet it will harm another kind. So, I mean, you can have, you know, commercial non-organic um, agricultural interests fighting with, with each other over, you know, harm caused by pesticide drift. And, but, and clearly it's, uh, it's harm to organic producers as well when, when they are affected. So it, it, it's really a lot of broad implications just with that pesticide language that is, again, ill-considered and being rushed through.
In this episode of Activate, Tara Green and Lee Muser talk about building a thriving, compassionate community, a network of individuals and organizations hosting trauma-informed trainings and discussions promoting actionable change on the root cause of social problems in Monroe County. This segment is a partnership between WFHB and the City of Bloomington Volunteer Network working together to build a strong, healthy, and engaged community. You can learn more about volunteer opportunities in the WFHB lessening area at bloomingtonvolunteernetwork.org or by emailing getconnected at bloomington.in.gov. Welcome to Activate, featuring real people working for positive change in our community, encouraging you to get involved, live your passion, and make a difference. Hi, I'm Tara Green. I'm Lee Muser. From Building a Thriving, Compassionate Community. So our vision is really just in our name. We are a community network of uh, individuals and organizations from around the community that want to build a thriving, compassionate community. And we, uh, we value connectedness and we value social inclusion and uh, really the popular education model that we all have experience and wisdom to share. And when we come together, we can work collectively to build equitable community conditions that can help people thrive. So we have a, a training called Trauma 101. We have a training called Implicit Bias. We have another training called The Dominant Narrative. And so people who are who really are wanting there to be more alignment with connection and compassion and um, growth and, and, and knowing what healthy relationships are, those are the people that are going to be interested in this organization. It's so fulfilling to be around other folks who want to create those conditions of interconnectedness, that social inclusion of working towards equitable conditions. And I think that's what really drew me in in the beginning, because I come at it from the perspective as a teacher. I'm um, trained in education. And um, as so many of us know, um, in schools, we deal with kids who've been through a lot. And so the hook for me was in that part of trying to prevent trauma from happening in the first place. So what, in what ways can we as a community create conditions that prevent trauma? And some of the work we've done of bringing these trainings into the community, we've helped people realize that most of us um, are moving through trauma at one point in our lives or another. And many of us are working with people who've been in some form of trauma. Um, and so I think we've helped um, bring that common language forward so that it's more understood in the community. And then being able to understand it means we can collaborate more about how to create conditions that prevent the trauma. Yeah. And with that understanding brings in compassion, which is which I love, of course, because it's in the name of the organization. (laughs) (laughs) We've done a lot of implicit bias trainings in the community. And so that language is becoming more common. It's like, oh, I have implicit bias. It's not like a dirty word. It's not I'm bad and wrong. But oh, we just we all do. We have implicit bias. And we then we can just talk about it openly. In the moment, you can feel the light bulbs going off. You can see it in the conversations. You can see like impact over time um, that starts with some like little ahas and some little like little mini awakenings. And then it it grows from continuing to be involved in paradigm shifting conversations like racism. We can talk about it openly. Like, yeah, of course, I'm like, of course, I'm a white bodied person. I have racism um, through my upbringing and I can talk about it. 
if what we've said today is sparking something inside of you that's like, I want to know more, like this, we're for you. Like, this is what we do. We talk about these things. We don't have firm agendas or um, we don't have the world's problems solved, but we have a lot of curious conversations. And so if you're a curious person, you would be welcome to learn more and help us learn more together. And you can reach out to us through our website, btccbloomington.org. And if you want to get a sample, we have a couple of opportunities to just come for a session. Um, We have quarterly gatherings, and we'll have another one coming up this summer. So you can check out our website or check us out on Facebook or other social media. And uh, this fall, we'll have the Monroe County Childhood Conditions Summit. And that'll be a chance to gather around some of the topics we've mentioned here. And uh, you can meet some other people who have similar perspective. Again, I'm Tara Green. I'm Lee Muser. From Building a Thriving, Compassionate Community. We believe that change can happen, and we invite you to join us in co-creating it. You've been listening to Activate, true stories from friends and neighbors who stand up for what they believe in. Activate is a partnership between WFHB and the City of Bloomington Volunteer Network, working together to build a strong, healthy, and engaged community with production support from students in the media school at Indiana University. You can learn more about volunteer opportunities in the WFHB listening area online at bloomingtonvolunteernetwork.org. That's bloomingtonvolunteernetwork.org. Support for WFHB Local News is brought to you by MPI Solar, a Bloomington business specializing in solar hot water, solar electricity, and solar hot air systems. MPI Solar designs and installs solar power generation systems that encourage independence and individual responsibility. More information online at mpisolarenergy.com.